Startle us, O God, with your truth and open us to your love. Make us prayerful and make us people of action in the midst of a world where there is struggle and need. Challenge us with your word and help us to be joyful in the graces that you have given us that out of our joy we might be generous toward others with our own blessings. And in this hour, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Outside of the city of Pisa, Italy, the Virgo interferometer is beginning its work. It is the third machine of its kind in the world, a gigantic gravitational wave detector. The pair of tunnels in the shape of an L, each one of them is several kilometers long and equipped with sensors that detect deviations in gravitational movement down to the size of a single photon. A gravitational wave detector. If you're like me, you thought the whole gravity thing was figured out a long time ago. You hold something in your hand and you drop it and watch it fall to the ground and you've proven once again the existence of gravity. But Einstein argued over a hundred years ago that there are major gravitational events going on out there in the universe. Events that create cosmic waves. And he knew that one day we would have the capability to detect those waves. And that day is now upon us. With this new technology, scientists expect to detect the collision of black holes, galaxies away from us. And these are the real gravitational events. I read a three-page article about this in Scientific American, and at the end of it, I still had no idea why this is important. Now, I'm not saying that because I doubt that this is important. I'm sure that it is. I was not suspicious of this. I just didn't understand the importance. And the article's author didn't bother to spell it out. Apparently, most of the readership of Scientific, Scientific American does not need that. So I called a fraternity brother of mine who is a PhD in physical chemistry and works for the Pentagon. It was a really cool fraternity, by the way. <laughs> I called my friend Eric and he said that these gravitational wave detectors deal with big questions about the nature of the universe. How did we get here? What kinds of cosmic events might have the potential to create life? And what is out there beyond anything we can possibly see, even with the most powerful telescope? It occurred to me, ironically, that academic publications in theology work in much the same way as this. Plenty of theological studies originate with big questions about the source and meaning of life in the world. 
But no one who writes an article in an academic journal of theology would bother to spell that out in the article, because if you're reading the theology magazine, it is assumed that you can make that connection. You see, depending on your particular set of experiences, your knowledge, your scholarship, your background, we all have such different ways of interpreting and understanding information. Differences in background and experience and priorities account for some very different interpretations of this day, Palm Sunday. In the church, we have a tradition of handing our children a palm leaf, and we enjoy how beautiful they are as they walk up the aisle of the church, reenacting the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Parents and children look forward to this, and we all hope that this is one way that children will fall in love with the life of the church. In this not just symbolic, but visible act of faith, children are invited to become active participants in our worship service. We hope that faith will become a part of their life through acts such as these. Many of you who have been going to church your entire life may remember few specifics from your own Sunday school experience, but it's my hunch that you probably remember carrying a branch in your hand on Palm Sunday. This is important stuff. For biblical scholars, the story of Palm Sunday is different from that joyful parade. This is a deeply and deadly serious day. Here's how a biblical scholar might tell the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In a bitingly ironic act of theatrical public activism, Jesus of Nazareth sends his disciples not for a battle-proven war horse and chariot, but for a borrowed donkey. And on its back, he makes his famous entry into Jerusalem. He does this mocking the military parades of the Roman Empire and the like, insisting that true leadership has nothing to do with the carnage and ego of the ancient military-industrial complex. Nor does leadership manifest itself in brutal acts of terror from, from one religious or ethnic group toward another. No real leadership is about service and humility and peace. And this idea may seem naive. It is certainly radical. And it is one of Jesus' many acts that is offensive enough in his day that a week after his ride on that donkey, he will be hanged. This is what Palm Sunday is really about, say the biblical scholars. And so some of them then comment derisively on the traditions of the church, traditions that they find to be an unfortunately cute domestication of the real story. Preachers 
walk the line between the scholarship we read about the grim history of this day and the beautiful celebration it has become in the life of the church. We know the revolutionary story behind the day, and we also know the importance of welcoming and nurturing our children. Which is the correct interpretation? The answer here is not that one or the other of these perspectives is, is the right one. Both of them are important. We have to figure out ways to celebrate the love and joy of Jesus Christ with our children. We must teach them that God loves them and that the church is their home. And with people who are more mature in their faith, it is essential to talk about the gravity of this day and the week that is before us if we are to take seriously the meaning of Jesus. We all have to decide what the meaning of Jesus' death is going to be for us. And all of this comes to a head in one of the very last things Jesus ever says, one of his seven last words. At the end, Jesus says, it is finished. When I consider the various ways Palm Sunday gets interpreted, what I conclude about Jesus' words, it is finished, is this. Jesus has done what he came to do. And it's now the responsibility of us who have heard the story to decide what his life and death means and to put it into practice in our lives. When you read the Bible, when you hear the story, who do you think Jesus was? Was he a revolutionary? Or a peacemaker? Or some combination of the two? Did Jesus mean the unbelievable things he said about the soulless pursuit of wealth, about the moral stain of prejudice, about the miracle of grace? Who do you think Jesus was? Who do you think he is? The answers to these questions, when they are asked seriously, lead to wildly different conclusions, both for individual people and for what we do as a church. I have worshipped God in grand cathedrals and in corrugated iron lean-tos and everything in between. I've seen churches whose top priority is how many people they can get through the door and I've seen churches that remain very small because they take the demands of discipleship extremely seriously. And I've seen everything in between. I've seen churches that believe everything in the Christian faith amounts to, amounts to action on the social gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've seen churches that just wish for Jesus to give them one hour of peace and comfort, forgetting everything else in the outside world. And I've seen everything in between. After the children go to Sunday school, mature people have to look closely at the story of Palm Sunday and have to ask what it means.
we do this with all kinds of stories. Let me tell you a story. Yevgeny Yevtushenko died a week ago. He was a Russian poet who gained notoriety as a voice protesting the age of Stalin and forbidding the return of such tyranny. His ability to navigate the fine line between protest and celebrity is what kept him out of prison and led him to be famous. And I bring this up because Yevtushenko is a man whose life is understood in many different ways. To some, he was a hero revolutionary. To others, a complete sellout. And yet to others, a representative of how you bridge the gap between those extremes. Yevtushenko spent the last years of his life in the classroom. He had moved to America. He was a professor at the University of Tulsa. Perhaps realizing that there is only so much we can control about our reputations, he took on this teaching work in the last part of his life, not because it added anything to his own legacy, but because he wished to encourage those who would come along next. He enjoyed watching younger generations come into their own. And one recent student remembered a class during which he stated in dramatic tones to the students, Someone is near. I feel it. Someone always has to be the leader of a generation. Someone has to be born. Why not one of you? Jesus on the cross looks at his followers and says, It is finished. It is finished. Who will be next? Why not one of you? All of us need to determine who Jesus is for us. We need to respond to his life, to the message of Palm Sunday. We need to figure out how we will respond to it in the week to come and beyond. And for our children, I believe that response should continue to be a celebratory day that values the participation of children in our church. And for the rest of us, there is now a week before us. One final week of Jesus' road to the cross, during which each of us must decide how seriously we will take this story and whether or not it will have any impact on our lives.